All right, everybody, welcome back to the PhD podcast. We have a really special guest on uh, joining us today, Dr. Joe Eisenman, who him and I got our uh, first start in terms of collaborating at Michigan State University. I was an uh, intern under Dr. E at Spartan Performance, uh, an LTAD uh, training f- facility. Dr. E, I really appreciate you hopping on with us today and you know sharing your thoughts. I think we're going to have a really good discussion about graduate school today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on a topic I really like to discuss. Um, I think it's going to be really important for you guys to share your experience since, you know, uh, you are just going through the process right now, but I can definitely, you know, layer in some of my uh, old wisdom as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh, Harjeev and I have some pretty good experiences so far with both of us going through a master's and now uh, being in our final year of our PhD, I think we have some good information to share with, you know, up and coming undergraduate students or just current uh, graduate students right now who are navigating this process in terms of, you know, start to finish in terms of, you know, applying to graduate school, some things to look for, and then you you become a master's, or you become a PhD student, you know, what are some things uh, to look out for? And then, you know, the end goal in terms of what are you really trying to get out of your graduate studies uh, I think we have some really good insight. I know Harjeev and I are, are really excited to share and have you, you know, facilitate this conversation. I think it'll be really important. Yeah, you you mentioned, and I'm looking at the infographic as well that, you know, I know that you'll share, but, you know, what's ahead and kind of thinking about the end goal. And I think that's where you should start. Right. Right. Start start with the end in mind. Absolutely. And, um, for, the, and, and for the listeners here, uh, this idea of bringing Dr. Eisenman on came from an infographic that I actually was creating during my uh, second year of my master's, and it was titled Grad School and Beyond, essentially the how, the what, and, you know, the where next. And I just, I created this graphic in trying to get, you know, potential graduate students invested in terms of what are some things they need to look out for in terms of, one, the application process, two, now you're into graduate school, what are you going to be doing then? Uh, three, if you're in a research-intensive program, you know, your thesis and dissertation. And then four, as Dr. Dr. E alluded to, is what's ahead. And, you know, this is where this conversation got sparked from in terms of being able to share, you know, some of our experiences from someone who's been in the field for a long time, as Dr. E has, and then current uh, PhD students like Harjeev and myself. Yeah, Jason, I think one thing that might be really important to mention is, um, you know, this might differ a little bit between if you are just going to do a terminal master's degree Absolutely. Ver- versus if you plan on to go for your PhD. I mean, you know, graduate school is graduate school, but, um, you know, I, I think it may have a little bit different lens, but there's definitely a lot of, you know, key concepts, principles, nuggets in here that even somebody who's an undergrad right now and, and wants to test the water, so to speak, for graduate work and maybe, oh, I just want to get a master's degree. I think there's still a lot of application. And then the other aspect as well, maybe before we dive deep, is this may also differ between um, American institutions and institutions elsewhere in the world, you know, uh, because especially, especially at the PhD level where the American universities are very course heavy. Right. Absolutely. Compared to, you know, European, Australian you know, universities where, you know, a lot of practitioners are now going because, right. you know, coursework right. is minimal, if any, and they can just focus on their uh, research and dissertation. No, that's a, that's a great point, Dr. E. We're, Harjeev and I are sharing our experiences 
being American graduate students, just for the, the listeners to key in on that. We're sharing our experiences, as Dr. E alluded to. We are in course intensive graduate programs that have been through that. So while our discussions, are, our central tenets are going to be important for everybody, some of the, the nitty gritty stuff that we talk about are, in, in a sense, applicable mainly to what Harjeev and I have experienced. But the key concepts will be will be broad enough for everybody to take some good information from. Harjeev, do you have anything to add before we... Yeah, you know, it's, it? it's funny because, as you mentioned, these uh, institutions abroad, I think before we were trying to, uh, you know, when we were applying to uh, schools, I think Jason and I also looked into... Uh, universities abroad. Yeah, um, I think we looked at the same ones too. Quite yeah. frankly, so yeah, was, we looked at a few, was, a few places in Australia actually. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty funny, and uh, you know, I got to spend some time down at Lee's Beckett's. So it was, uh, uh, you know, I got I got a little taste of what what it was like over there. Um, but yeah, happy to share my thoughts and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so doctor, if you want to get into the, you know the first talking point, let's let's just roll right into it and you know have a have a discussion and then go from there. Yeah, let's let's go through the infographic maybe step yep. by step and sure. absolutely you know trials, tribulations, pitfalls, challenges, everything yep. in between, and then the listener can just have that infographic you know up as they as they listen to the podcast as well. But you know as we start with the application process, um, one thing that I'm always upfront with students who want to pursue a graduate degree is, you know, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to be? And again, that's like, start with the end in mind. Right. And a really common uh, response I get is I want to do exercise physiology. And my next question is what about exercise physiology do you like? Because oftentimes undergrads, they go into the class and they just see it as, you know, exercise physiology. But you need, you need to understand, and this is going to get to a main point for me, mentors matter. Yep. Who you choose, it's not just the institution, but who you choose to study with. I think that becomes really important is to be able to anchor yourself to an outstanding mentor. And we are going to have a great conversation on that throughout the podcast, I'm sure, you know, but again, it's like, okay, I want to do exercise physiology. Well, what area of exercise physiology, what do you like? Do you like, you know, muscle cardiovascular respiratory thermal regulation? You can do the same in biomechanics or sports psych or motor development, whatever it is. Right. I mean, sometimes students have no idea. I, I finished with a degree in exercise science. Like if we stay within our own field, and I just want to do a master's in exercise science. Well, what area of exercise science? Yeah. So it, this starts to be, most of the time, this starts to become highly specialized. Mm-hmm. And, and to say, if you want to do a master's and be a jack of all trade, master of none, then you better find a graduate program that fits you. You better find a graduate program that matches breadth. Because when you get in, and you're interested in cardiovascular physiology and you go to University X and nobody at University X studies cardiovascular phys, I'm sorry, but you are going to do whatever Professor A, B, C, and D do, right? Yeah. Yep. So, so this application process needs to start with background, um, you know, checking up on institutions, programs, and then mentors as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to hear, uh, you know, your guys' experience and further thoughts on that, that 
you know, maybe this is almost like the pre-step to the application process, right? Absolutely. I'll, I'll take the lead on this, Hardy, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, I'll yeah. some of my experiences. So my master's degree is from Ball State University in a little town called Muncie, Indiana. And then uh, my PhD work right now is at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I'm uh, very hot in Nevada right now. But what I did for both my master's and for my PhD, and I think uh, this is something that's really important when it gets back to the whole student-mentor relationship, is to actually take the time to, if it's, if it's feasible, to go visit the facilities. So I was living in Michigan at the time uh, during my undergrad work at, at Michigan State, and I was applying to a couple of different master's programs, and I took physical visits, on-campus visits to the facilities, and I sat down with the faculty members and some of the other students there. And from there, I was able to gauge, you know, what my fit was in terms of the program and my, and my interests. Uh, you know, my current research looks at ACL and concussion work. When I started at Ball State, you know, I was interested in landing mechanics and ACL type of work. And Ball State was a, a biomechanics intensive program that did landing mechanic type of studies. And so the fit there was really, was, was great. And I, I remember walking out of the the day-long in-campus visit at Ball State, and I called my dad on the way back, and I said, this is where I'm going to go. You know, my mentor at the time, uh, Dr. Clark Dickin, and I, during that first meeting, we just, we really connected. We just, we really hit it off that first day, and I said, you know, I like, I really like the fit. I like the faculty there. I like the facilities, too. That's another important thing when Dr. E talked about. If you're going to go into a graduate program, and you're interested in cardiovascular physiology, or you're interested in landing mechanics as it relates to ACL injury, the facilities that you're going to be at have to support that research. If you just go into program X and exercise science, the graduate program might not have the technology and the facilities and just the manpower to do the research that you're interested in. So I think it's really important to take in-person visits if that's feasible. Uh, you know, given the current COVID circumstances, that's going to be a little bit uh, more difficult to navigate. But even setting up virtual calls like uh, like we've been doing the past four months, getting your face in front of the faculty and other students is going to be really important because it shows that you're passionate. It shows that you care about, you know, pursuing graduate education. That's just, you know, my thoughts. My theme in all this is to be prepared and to be excited about what you're doing. And you'll hear a lot of those talking points when we go down this list. But Harjeev, I'm be curious to hear some of your experiences too, because you've gone through a similar situation. Yeah. So if you take a step back, I think I have a pretty, um, that's like a weird journey to where I am today. Uh, I, when I was, so I, I was a typical undergrad exercise science major type of guy. Um, and, you know, I graduated and my grades weren't that good. And I come from like a sort of, a, you know, a very heavy medical side family. So my sister's a physician. So it was kind of like, oh, well, you got to go to medical school. Right. And so the, uh, the goal was, you know, to do a master's degree to get my grades up, um, to then go to medical school. And so I, I, I had gotten into two master's programs. One was a master's in public health, and another one was this master's in motor learning. Um, one was at the New York uh, New York Medical College, and the other one was at Columbia University. And um, I had to make a choice. I was like, you know, do I want to? Do I really want to go to medical school, or because then I would have to go to public health route. I just kind of uh, just there was more avenues that way um but then I tore my ACL and then from there my sort of 
you know, this, this idea of how did my injury happen? Why? And all these questions kind of took me the route of, you know, motor learning and, and, and Columbia. And so, uh, so I started there and then the goal became, you know, to go to physical therapy school. Cause like every other physical therapy student an injury sort of provokes you to go into that program. And so then I was like, Oh, this is perfect. You know, I have all the prereqs already. Uh, let's get my grades up a little bit. I'll get into PT school. So that was the goal at that time. Um, went through the program, uh, had great mentorship over there. Uh, and, uh, then I got into PT school and I, and I got into PT school at Columbia, which was fantastic. I mean, this is like, you know, what you wanted. Uh, and so this is great. And so I was very excited and, and ready to rock. And like three months into my PT degree, I was like, this is not for me. I mean, this is just not for me. I had so many questions. Uh, why do we do this? How do we do this? And I just wasn't getting the answers. And then I realized that, you know, I went back to my master's work and I was like, kind of asking those same questions. Uh, and then from there, it kind of was just like, all right, well, you know, I think the, the route to take is, is a PhD and then kind of just brought me to, to where I am. I, I mean, I, I just, and, I, and to your point, mentorship was huge. Uh, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for Dr. Richard McGill and his class, motor learning uh, and his sort of uh, mentorship to, you know, write recommendations for me, tell me where to go, uh, give me that sort of influence, I wouldn't be here right now. And so uh, once you find those people, uh, whether you actually actively search for them or they kind of just end up in your life, I think um, there's always, uh, I always, I always tell myself, there's always a reason someone came into your life. And so I think uh, it kind of led me to where I am. Um, so a little different uh, sort of pathway to, to this PhD. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think uh, just what Jason said, find the mentorship uh, because that, that mentor will lead, lead you to, you know, so many different avenues. I think, sure. I think it's, that's really important touching on the, the mentor student relationship for yeah. the listeners who don't have a full background on myself. I spent about two years under Dr. Eisenman at Spartan Performance at, at Michigan State University. And I had some, you know, Dr. E is great in all this in terms of, you know, leading you down your own path, finding your interests and in, in guiding you. And, you know, I spent two years under him and, you know, some of the other greats faculty at Michigan State and Dr. RJ Gibbs actually gave me some really good advice too in terms of graduate school but being able to identify those individuals early on even in your undergraduate studies because you know if you have an interest in say biomechanics or motor learning and exercise physiology in you know certain circumstances at your undergraduate university there will be faculty members who have done that work and you can you know reach out to them and say you know these are my these are my interests i'm interested in acl research from a biomechanics perspective and if you have a, a kinesiology trained individual they can say you know these are some programs that that i know of that have done this research you know look at x y and z programs and you know when i was conveying my interest to dr eisenman and some of the other faculty at michigan state you know they led me along to you know ball state has a has a really good exercise science program you should look into that for your your master's degree. And then I started doing my own research and I saw, wow, they have this really great biomechanics facility that has top-notch technology and the, and the faculty's great. And that's kind of where, you know, I got my start. And, and similar with, you know, my PhD work, as I started looking at, you know, various PhD programs, I sat down with my master's advisor at the time and I said, you know, these are my, these are my research interests. These are things that I want to, you know, continue to do in my educational career. And, and Dr. Dickens said, you know, these are some programs that you should look at. You should look at Dr. Janet Dufick and the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. 
And then I started doing some more research on her and the work that she does in, uh, with her research team. And it was just another, it was just a really, it was another great fit for me. So really being able to identify individuals who share some of your research interests early on, I think is really, is really key in, you know, this whole application process, whether it's a master's or a PhD. Yeah, good stuff, guys. Hey, I, I have four things that I wrote down. I'm going to get through them quickly, okay? All <laughs> yeah. quite pertinent here. Number one is this takes soul searching. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, start with the end in mind and what do you want to be when you grow up? What kind of problems do you want to solve when you grow up? What do you want to get out of your master's program? What do you want to do it in? It takes some soul searching and it becomes a commitment. Um, Absolutely. Set, Second point is, Harjeet mentioned something about his grades not being so good. Uh, I'm right there with you, brother. <laughs> same, same with me. I think I have the lowest GRE score of any PhD alive. Um, but my point is um, experience. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't stress that enough to undergraduate students who are listening is you need to get out of the classroom and yep. you have your GPA may suffer, but if you have a 4.0 and you can't hold a conversation like the two of these people can with, you know, a faculty member, they don't care if you have a 4.0 because you're book smart. Um, right. If you have a 3.4, 3.6, and you come with unbelievable experience, I'm going to listen to you. And if, and the other thing is being able to have a conversation. Again, I don't care if you have a 4.0. If you can't have a conversation like we're having a conversation here, obviously it becomes topic specific, right? Right. Um, you need to be able to be conversant in your field. Absolutely. Um, and, that, and that also includes, you know, during this application process and the email that you send to Professor X. Yep. Right? <laughs> like not just, hey, I'm interested in grad school. Can we have a conversation? No, dear Professor X. Right. I am interested in attending University X and studying with you because yep. list the reasons here that are very specific to that individual in that program. I think I'm a good fit. Here are the reasons why. Here's some stuff about me. Yeah. So, in, you know, we know these, you know, generic emails I get sent out and, you know, I can tell you with confidence because I've done it before. Yeah. I get the delete key on my keyboard. Yep. I wasn't in, I wasn't interested. I didn't care what GPA or GRE was. Yep. Right. You need um, you need to convey in that the introductory email is really important as Dr. as Dr. E mentioned. It's really important to, I mean, at that point, this is the first opportunity that your potential faculty advisor, your research advisor is going to get a chance to know about you. I spent a lot of time on that introductory email. I had other people read it over. I said, you know, does this look like I'm conveying the information that I want to convey? These are my interests, these are my backgrounds. You know, these are the things that I would want to do under your mentorship. And that takes that takes a little bit of time. It's almost like drafting up a, you know, a paper at that point. You want to you want to convey one, your interest and two, you want to be able to. And this is a, a talking point on the part one of the application process is you want to be able to demonstrate your uniqueness in some way. And the thing that that I've done personally, because I have a little unique educational background, I have undergraduate degrees in mechanical engineering and kinesiology, and it just fits really well with the biomechanics things that I'm doing. I conveyed that early on. I said, you know, Dr. Dickin, Dr. Dufik, 
I have backgrounds in mechanical engineering and kinesiology. I want to combine those two disciplines together and be a biomechanist, be a highly trained biomechanist. And I'm interested in X, Y, and Z. And so it's really important that those first, I mean, first impressions are everything, you know, it's, it's, it's a cliche thing, but you know what, especially in this virtual day and age, you need to be able to express your interests and express your uniqueness in a, in an appropriate manner to potential faculty and other students. And that's something that you're going to be doing the rest of your career. You know, I'll just add something there. One of the things I did uh, was when I reached out to, so I was lucky because, you know, Dr. McGill and Dr. Wolf, you know, they, they, they know each other just because motor learning. Um, but one of the things I always did was I always read papers that were corresponding to the potential advisor. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I always uh, referenced that within the email. I really like this. I have a question on this. Can I hop on a call with you and talk about it? Or can you answer me directly or, you know, stuff like that. So I kind of led the email that way. Uh, where I always reference some of the papers that influenced me. But then at the same time, as an undergrad or even a master's student, I would suggest uh, attending as many conferences as you can uh, and taking as many opportunities as you can to uh, present your, your, your work, whether it's actual empirical research or just sort of, you know, abstract thinking, whatever it may be. Um, because I also had that opportunity to present uh, uh, work at a conference that you know Dr. Wolf was at, um, and so I got to make that connection as well. Um, so you, you know, it really like have to kind of work your way uh, in doing so. And, and once you show that interest in in the research, and I I mean I remember I didn't I didn't get to Dr. I didn't come to UNLV. Um, it, it took three years of correspondence with Dr. Wolf um, that then eventually said you know listen, I'm going to do my PhD under her. And so then it kind of got me here. But um, it, it was for three years, we were talking back and forth um, on just research. And so I, that kind of built that connection, which, um, you know, goes till today. So. Yeah, doing your homework early on in this process is really important. Understanding the work that your potential research or faculty advisor has done in the past five to 10 years and demonstrating that you know, I'm familiar with the work that you're doing. I think this is where I can add my niche to the current work that you're doing is really important. And I want to touch on one last thing, because I think we want to start going into like the next talking point in terms of, okay, you applied and now you're in, is the whole social media thing. I think we can all agree how advantageous social media can be to a potential graduate or current graduate student, but at the same time, it can also be detrimental if you're not using it appropriately and that's one of the, the talking points that I have on there is using social media to your advantage, not your detriment. And we, Harjeev and I and Dr. E as well, we use social media to be able to engage with, with researchers and scholars and practitioners that in a normal circumstance, we wouldn't have the opportunity to do so. And I know from an application standpoint that when you're applying to university X, Y, or Z, that's one of the things, one of the first thing, and that's in, you know, that's in the job field as well. That's one of the first things they look at is they look at your social media, they look at the things that you're posting. And so just something to really be cognizant of. And I've always been a big proponent, at least over the past half decade or so, of having a sort of quote unquote professional, you know, social media page, whether that's through LinkedIn, whether that's through Twitter, things of that nature, because you can, there's so many opportunities on social media that you just wouldn't get 
I mean, I'm just speaking from, you know, Twitter that they, they have job postings everywhere, whether it's, uh, you know, graduate positions, master's positions, doctoral positions, postdoc positions, different things like that. So just be aware of, you know, your presence on social media is, is very important because at the end of the day, when you get into a university, you know, you represent the university and you represent your faculty mentor and you represent your other students in your program. So you just have to be really cognizant of, you know, how you're expressing yourself through social media. I don't know if Harjeeva or Dr. E had anything to add to that, but I just want to make, throw that out there. Yeah. Amen. You're, you're absolutely right about checking on accounts. Yeah. Um, yep. That's it. It's pretty standard these days, right? Um, yeah. It's pretty yeah. easy to do as well. Yeah. So yeah, I know we want to keep rolling here with like, I'm in now what? And I think I almost can combine two and three, right? I'm in yeah. now what, what am I going to do? But you know, that, culmi- that culminating experience is going to be a thesis or a dissertation mm-hmm. and kind of to set the stage in terms of I'm in now what, like we've been talking a lot about research. Like you guys talked a lot about, Hey, I looked up the research from this professor or whatever. Hey, what kind of research am I going to do when I'm there? Right. I think the thing that we can't lose sight of is practical experience as well, because I mean, and we talked about this before we got on the show, right? Keeping your doors open. So maybe you don't want to remain in academia after you finish your PhD. Right. right. But, but for those students who are going to just, you know, do a terminal master's degree, you know, they may not have to do a thesis. Right. So I think the other, I think the other thing, and this is both application process, but it's also, I'm in now what is, what kind of practical experience am I going to gain? You know, let's just say it's strength and conditioning. Like, are you going to be able to be a graduate assistant within strength and conditioning or, you know, some other venue facility where you can, where you can practice your skills. So you're not just sitting in the classroom acquiring, you know, theoretical uh, knowledge, understanding, and, you know, reading and resuscitating uh, research papers Right. That practical experience, I think, becomes really important for some people. Actually, I think for all of us, it becomes really important as well in terms of I'm in now what happens. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just kind of kick that section off really like that, that path becomes important to understand early on as well. And, Jason, I remember the conversation that we had before you went to Ball State, right? Like we, we kind of got into this. Well, what's your program of studies going to look like? What right. do you mean program of studies? Well, they have a program, they have a program of studies. These are the courses that you need to take, you know, who are you going to have on your, who are you going to have on your thesis committee? What other kind of experiences are you get? Are you going to be a teaching assistant or a research assistant? Yep. So, you know, like, and this almost comes to what you had said earlier, like do your homework, do your background. And we're letting the listeners know now, like, this is what the full road looks like. Yeah. And that's, and that's really important. I'll, I'll kick that off is, you know, Dr. E mentioned, you know, graduate assistantships and research assistantships. And those are things that you need to have more or less solidified prior to your official start of your graduate education. You know, the worst circumstance that someone could walk into is they get into a master's program or some sort of graduate program and they don't have, you know, a, a solidified funding source. And they don't have a solidified, you know, coursework approach. And you know, those are things that, you know, you got to do your homework on. You got to, because funding's a really big deal, you know, with graduate students, especially at a, at a master's and, you know, obviously a PhD level is you got to be able to support yourself at the end of the day. So if you're going to be traveling across the country, like Harjeev and I have, and, you know, we've been to various institutions that, 
you need to be able to financially support yourself, but you also need to be able to get the experiences that you, that you wanted. You know, I come from, I started out with under Dr. Reed and I got a lot of applied knowledge and, and I was really interested in that, but I also had interest in conducting my own research. And that was, you know, what led me down the, the master's and now PhD work. And that's, that, those are the conversations that you really need to have, you know, with your potential advisor before the process, before you get into the programs. Like I'm interested in strength and conditioning. You know, I'm interested in being a GA for the football team. What are the opportunities that are available at University X? And you know what? University X might tell you, we don't have any positions available right now. You know, so then you might have to look at University Y or University Z. But it's just those are the things that you really have to be aware of as you're transitioning from, you know, I'm an undergraduate student to now I'm a, I'm a master's student or now I'm a PhD student. And I want to have experience as a practitioner. I want to have experience as a researcher. You need to make sure that the programs that you're interested in can support your interests because, at the end of the day, you know, whether we like it or not, it does come down to whether an institution has funding available for you. There are certain circumstances where you can, you know, you can join a program and, you know, pay your way through it, but that's in certain circumstances not feasible for a lot of incoming students. I don't know, Harjeev, if you had any sort of thing to add to that as well. That's just from my experiences. Yeah, no, I think you hit on, hit on all the important parts of that. Um, yeah, don't know what to add. If I think of something, I'll, I'll definitely chime in. But I just, I, I was, yeah. I was, I was given advice, and this is advice that the listeners can take or, or just leave at face value. When I was looking at uh, master's programs, the advice that I was given, and I think this is really great advice for me personally. This doesn't have to be applicable to anybody else, but it could be, was that look for a master's program that is going to put the master's students on the front burner. Because what often can happen is Dr. E's smiling on this. We're not, we're not recording the video, but this will be smiling. But and this, is, this is a real life issue. This is something that a lot of people I don't hear discuss a lot. And it's true is that when you get into a big graduate program that supports master's and PhD students, at the end of the day, the PhD students are going to take one, the most funding, and they're going to take two, the faculty's attention. Because whether we like it or not, the PhD students are the ones that are applying for grants. These are the ones that are finishing big culminating projects that their faculty advisor has been on for the past five years. And their dissertation work is part X of this project. And the advice that I was given, this was specifically given from Dr. RJ Gibbs, who was at Spartan Performance for quite a while. He told me, look, if you want to go into a master's degree, look for a place that just has a master's program. And that's specifically the programs that I targeted as my master's. And that is specifically what led me to Ball State. They just had a master's degree in biomechanics. They didn't have a PhD program. And so I was in the lab every single day. My mentor, Dr. Dickin, was 10 feet away from me. And if I had a question, I walked right into his office and said, Dr. Dickin, can we sit down and talk for 10 minutes? Can we sit down and talk for a half hour about my thesis or about this and that? And it was never an issue. I was always on the front burner. So that's something to really consider for students who specifically are trying to go down the terminal master's route, or if they want to start their graduate education in the master's, master's and then PhD route. You really need to, you know, these are conversations that you need to have early on with your potential faculty advisor. What sort of mentorship, what sort of attention am I going to be getting as a master's student in comparison to 
the PhD students there are potentially there already. I don't know, Harvey, if you had... Yeah, no, you bring up a great point because when I did my master's degree, it was a joint, right? We had PhD students as well right. as... And, and, you know, as much as I love that program, I mean, I do see where you're coming from. PhD students do get a lot of more attention. And and I think it was kind of... Neglect, I kind of neglect, neglected it in the beginning because, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted. So, you know, going, going to that program, I, I didn't really you know, look at the facilities or look at anything like that. So you bring up a good point. Make sure they have the facilities that you need um, and uh, and that you can actually do stuff uh, in those facilities on your own time. Uh, but uh, also, uh, you know, just looking at the process of applying for a PhD and, and getting here, one of the things I did consider, because I knew right away, you know, listen, I want to work with the athletic department somehow. Right. And right. You, you and I come from the same background. And um, the first thing I did was just because I had a volleyball background was I, you know, I, I emailed the head coach of the volleyball program here um, asking if I could potentially be a GA uh, for the team uh, rather than having the teaching responsibilities. Because, you know, I wanted to, again, keep everything, uh, keep all options open. Um, but unfortunately, they didn't have any GA positions, which was fine. I mean, I didn't really care but I wanted to volunteer anywhere any which way I could just because you know having that experience at the collegiate level would definitely help not in terms of my research but you know future job perspectives maybe whatever it may be um so I was able to do that and, and so that kind of really uh pushed me to coming here was just their interest in, in, in having me as a volunteer coach and and doing that so um definitely uh I think uh do your due diligence beforehand I think that's uh, we've talked about it before but um don't be afraid to send emails. That's the one thing is like, uh, and, and Jason and I do it all the time. We'll send emails, not really expecting an e email back, but you know, most of the time they do emails back. And it's like, you know, if you've you know, framed the emails the right way, share your genuine interest. I think, you know, people want to start these lines of communication. And so we shouldn't be uh, just afraid of sending emails and networking and all that. So, uh, yeah. Jackson, do you have anything specifically to some of the talking points you and I just brought up in terms of you know, the oh. master's thing in terms of, I think, I think one of the biggest things that I've taken away from this part of the conversation right now is that, you know, if you want to do extra things, like if you're a research assistant, but you also want to get into more of the applied setting, I think you need to have those conversations early on with your, with your faculty advisor and say, because because at the end of the day, if you're if you're a research assistant, you know your your funding, your twenty hours a week is coming from a research project that your faculty has been involved in and things like that. But if you want to have some some extra things, like Harjeev was a GA for was a volunteer assistant for the the volleyball team at UNLV. I've done personal training on the side, but both of us had conversations early on with our faculty mentors at UNLV and. You know, we wanted to be able to apply our knowledge in, in ways that, you know, would help the, the community immediately, as well as being responsible with our, our GA responsibilities and making sure that we were facilitating that. You just need to have those conversations early on. Yeah. I, when you guys were speaking, I wrote down balancing act. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> this becomes a big time balancing act. And again, it depends on master's student, PhD student, but also what your responsibilities are for that, you know, institution and, and your program. But one thing, and this is another, for me, major point for this step is for students to work smart, yep. right? Like 
make teaching, research, coursework, service, everything, this big Venn diagram, right? Yep. So if you have to write a paper for a certain course, can you knock out part of your lit review in your thesis? Yeah. Now, again, I know there might be some profs who are listening to this and they're turning over right now because they're <laughs> like, oh, you can't do that. You can't double dip like that. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's my personal philosophy, right? right? And I, I encourage it in my graduate students and the students who were in my classes, like, hey, I want you to write a paper, but let's write on something that's going to be meaningful to you and be purposeful for you as well. I, and I think that's an approach that, at least in my experience, I've had, I've had a couple courses, not only in my master's, but my PhD in, in research methods type of courses where faculty, um, they essentially, they, they push for students to create these, if we have like a literature review project to do, create the literature review, something that's really interesting to you, because you know what, you can use the whole thing, or you can use components of that for your thesis and for your dissertation. And I think that's, I think that's really important, as Dr. E mentioned, because as graduate students, whether at the master's or the PhD level, you wear a lot of hats. You potentially are now wearing a teaching hat that you never did for your first four years of undergrad. Now you're wearing a research hat that, you know, you may have only had a little bit of experience in research as an undergraduate student. I think Harjeev and I both did, but that's not commonplace. So now you're wearing a new hat that you've never been exposed to. And oh, by the way, now you have, you know, graduate courses, especially if you're an American institution where it's very research intensive, you still have to take three to four courses a semester. So it's really I mean, graduate education at the end of the day is, is a personal choice. You know, you've made that decision to continue your education. You just have to understand that the responsibilities as a graduate student, it's very much elevated from an undergrad. You're, you have so many more responsibilities on your plate that you just did not have as an undergraduate student. I think Harjeev can agree to that as well because, you know, him and I both wear a lot of hats at UNLV. You know, we, we do a lot of things. We're big on community service. I serve as a as a graduate college ambassador for UNLV, I've, I've done a, uh, a mentorship program here at UNLV where I had an undergraduate kinesiology student go through a full uh, research study with me. And that's, you know, one of five, six different hats that I wear at UN, not just a researcher, I'm not just a, you know, a part-time instructor. I'm a mentor. I'm a community outreach person. You know, we wear just a lot of hats. Yeah. I think RG would agree with that as well, being a graduate student. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, like you mentioned, we do wear a lot of hats. I, I serve as the, you know, the, our school's sort of, uh, you know, graduate council representative as well. And, and just, uh, you know, being part of the community here is huge um, because uh, people, you know, if you really love what you do, I think people should, uh, you know, you, you want to, because, you know, just coming from a volleyball background, I think, bring sort of what I'm doing to the different volleyball clubs around yep. the community. And, and there's a, there's a bunch. Uh, and so, you know, and they, you know, they, they want, you know, they want to get better. And then you kind of build that, you build that relationship. And, um, and then they, they hear about UNLV and then it's like, you know, it's kind of like goes around and around, but uh, yeah, you're not just a researcher at, at the end of the day. Um, you're kind of your own entrepreneur. I think that was, that's a kind of good way to put it is you're building your own, uh, you're sort of building your own sort of career in these, you know, three or four years that you're here, that's going to set the stage for um, a job and, and all that. And if you don't invest, if you don't invest early, you know, I actually, I just, 
I just saw, I heard you cut you off there for a second, but I just saw a Twitter thread like a few days ago that really just interests me. And, you know, this, this academic mentioned how a lot of students are, you know, they just want to get through their graduate degree. They want to get through their master's. They want to get through their PhD and then enter the job force. From my perspective, my master's work and my PhD work is going to facilitate my future job opportunities. I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to make my own, I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to create my own avenue so that when I enter the workforce, you know, I've demonstrated that I've been able to do this. I didn't, I just didn't want to get through the program and just, I didn't want to just finish a thesis. I wanted a well-developed thesis that would lead me into a well-developed dissertation that now leads me into a well-developed research line or a well-developed, you know, application line for a sports team or something like that. I think that, you know, you just really need to be aware of that. You're going to be spending a lot of time in graduate school, teaching and researching and doing community outreach sort of things. And you just really need to find what your interests are because this could potentially build your entire career. I think, you know, Harjeev can, can uh, speak this as well as what I'm saying, you know, the work that I'm doing right now with, you know, concussion and musculoskeletal injury risk, this is something that gets me out of bed every morning. You know, I love the research that I'm doing right now and I want to continue to pursue that, whether that's in an academic setting or applied setting. It's just, you really have to find something that will get you out of bed. I think Dr. E can agree with that as well. We've had a lot of conversations about that. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe we should push down, you know, the, the road here on this uh, schematic of the final pieces. But before we go to these final two steps, um, the last thing I want to say about, you know, you're in now what is own it. Yep. And, uh, Jason has my favorite scene at the bottom of the infographic. Yeah. You control your own learning environment. Yep. So this was painted on the wall at Spartan Performance, and I talked about it a lot. And, you know, you can be led to a lot of different opportunities, or there's a lot of different opportunities out there. But, again, you alone are the one who's controlling that. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. There, obviously, there's barriers and constraints perhaps placed upon you, but – you know, it, it's what, what do you want to make of this uh, opportunity? If I can, if I can just interject just for a second, give, a, give an example of what I've done in terms of creating my own environment. Uh, I started as an undergraduate. I did some research work under Dr. Tracy Covason, who does a lot of concussion as well, a well-respected researcher in concussion. I've always had interest in concussion research didn't do anything in my master's degree, was more interested in ACL, landing mechanics type of thing. Um, but when I got to UNLV, and actually, as I was still finishing my, uh, my master's at Ball State, you know, I was already looking for, you know, a dissertation topic and things that I wanted to continue pursuing. And I always had this pull of concussion research. Well, to be honest, UNLV really doesn't, from our kinesiology standpoint, doesn't do any concussion research. My academic advisor, Dr. Janet Dufick, did one sort of study on pediatric falls and fall risk, things like that. But alluding to the point of creating or controlling your own learning environment, you know, I sat down with Dr. Dufick really early on my first year of my PhD. I said, you know, Dr. Dufick, I really have this interest. There's a link between concussion. There's a link between musculoskeletal ACL injury. This is the things that I want to pursue for my dissertation work. And, you know, she took a little bit of a leap of faith and said, you know, I've never done concussion work. You know, I don't have that background. I've done my, you know, I've done extensive work in landing biomechanics and things like that. So what I did from that is I reached out to, 
to Dr. Covason at Michigan State. And I, you know, I just kind of gauged her interest. And I said, you know, this is something that I'm looking at in terms of my, you know, dissertation work. You know, what do you, what are your thoughts on it? You know, given that you've done so much extensive work in this field. And she actually came back in her email response my first summer here and said, you know, if you're looking for a committee member, I'd be happy to join. And so I took, you know, my interests and, and brought them together at UNLV. And now we're doing some pretty extensive concussion ACL injury risk, risk work in adolescent and collegiate athletes. So it, it speaks to the point of Dr. Eisman is really owning your graduate degree. You know, if you really have these deep passions for, you know, for whether it's biomechanics, motor learning, exercise physiology, take advantage of it because you will not have another opportunity. You won't have another opportunity to pursue a master's degree, another opportunity to pursue a four or five year PhD. It's take advantage of that time because it, it could end up leading you to so many different opportunities that you just wouldn't have been exposed to. So just own, own those two to four or five years that you're there. Dr. Eisen, I think you're, I think you're muted. Thanks, Jason. You guys can edit that out, I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so as we uh, as we keep going through the process and we're at the culminating experience stage, right, of graduate work, no matter if that's a thesis or a dissertation or even a project, internship, whatever it might be, um, again, I think this is a start early thing, right? Yep. Like yep. Have, in, have in mind your first semester, at least your first semester, by your end of your first semester, like, what do you actually want to do your thesis dissertation on or what's your project going to be? Um, I think that's really important and everything, everything should build up to it. So as I mentioned, writing that you have to do in class, you know, can that be used within mm -hmm. the thesis or dissertation somehow? Yep. Um, th this process definitely takes time. And one thing is a lot of students are fearful of two things, statistics and writing. Right. Yep. yep. Uh, so my so my words on that, and I want to hear you guys talk about this process as well. Number one, statistics are a tool. It doesn't matter what field you go into; it is an incredible tool, especially in today's age of data science, data analytics. Right. Yep. I mean, we have to be good with numbers. We have to have this numeracy about what we do in exercise and sports science, kinesiology. Um, so learn, learn to like statistics, um, find a good professor as well. Not one who turns his or her back to the class and writes X of I sub J plus blah, blah, blah. Right. But, you know, teaches you how to use SPSS, SAS, R, yep. you know, whatever, whatever thing it is and gives really good practical examples. I think that's important. And then the part on writing. Yeah. Writing is hard. Yeah. Um, for most people now, my big advice on writing is finding place and time, right? This is about space and time. Yep. Find a space where there's no distractions or whatever it is for you that you can really focus on your writing and the time. Some people are morning writers. Other people are afternoon. Some are midnight writers. Um, I need huge blocks. Uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but if, if I write for 15, 20 minutes and then stop and do something else, get distracted or whatever and have to come back, like I'm starting over again. So, I, you know, I, I know, I know my space and time and that's helped me in my writing and you just have to do it and don't be afraid of red marks and, you know, 
all that feedback that you get, like this, this whole thesis dissertation project, you know, the writing and the statistics part and the whole process, it takes time. Harjeev, how about you lead off with this? I have some things to discuss, but I want to, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this. I think we share some similar viewpoints with statistics and, and writing specifically, but yeah. take, take the lead on this and share because I, yeah. so I, I, I always had the affinity to write. I think uh, even like from the old days, I used to like you know, write poems and stuff. Like it used to be like my thing, just writing and, and you know, abstract thinking and all that. And so, um, but as I get more and more into what I'm studying, um, I always like to link things together. Um, so it's not like, you know, this happens, so this happens. It's okay, this happens, why does this happen? What's the connection? And it kind of goes into this rabbit hole and like it's whiteboards on whiteboards and it's trying to figure out connections and, and, and trying to do that. And then, you know, in terms of writing, I used to be just like that where, you know, I used to set out time, three, four hours, whatever to write. Um, but now it's gotten more into uh, just writing a little bit in the little time I have and then uh, and then continuously as I'm, you know, whether I'm reading or, or, or talking or listening to things, I'll keep writing down notes and I'll just keep going back. And so what I do now is that um, my my main thing is every day I'm going to read one or two articles. That's like a, a main thing, no matter what, um, at least, uh, you know, during the during the PhD process. And in the beginning of the PhD, it used to be five or six papers a day. Um, but now that you get into, you know, more of your own writing and all that, you have to cut that down. So now it's, you know, one to two papers a day. And then after, uh, after all that's done, I'm done for the day. It's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put an hour into just writing whatever I'm writing. Um, and it's just, I'm going to kind of, that's like my, let's after this, let's go to sleep sort of thing. Uh, it's just, right for that one hour. Um, but like I mentioned throughout the day, I'm kind of creating notes and I'm, I'm putting that all, putting it all into the document. And then in that hour, bridging everything together. Um, and so that's kind of how I work now. Um, but, um, yeah, in terms of like stats and stuff, uh, I think it's important. I, so, you know, unfortunately we, uh, here we're not given that many statistical courses. We have, you know, me and Jason have taken courses outside of our department, um, to learn more statistics. Um, I've taken, uh, you know, I've ventured off into, you know, I, I attended, uh, I actually went to Omaha, uh, University of Nebraska in Omaha to attend uh, a whole week series on nonlinear analysis. And then, uh, from there, I did uh, just kind of doing these online classes in data science, learning R, you know, they're just free classes that are readily available. Just take them um, and practice on your own. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, Jason probably touch on this, but, you know, going and going to the lab and doing some extra data collection and then utilizing that data to then, you know, analyze and figure out cool, you know, different methods and, and different statistics you can use, whether it's related to your work or not, the more practice you get, the better. So yeah, Jason, want to add anything? I think that I'll, I'll speak on the data science part first and I'll get into the writing. Being well-versed in statistics is extremely important as a graduate student, as a researcher, because not only does it make you stronger and your research stronger, but you're also able to recognize what's a strength and a limitation in some of the other research. You know, that's, that's a huge thing. If you, if you first read a multiple regression model in a paper, you read a multivariate model in a paper, the first time you see that, you have no idea what's happening. You know, you don't know what a beta value means. You don't know what that means, but then 
as you start getting into some of these multivariate courses and linear regression courses, okay, I started understanding, okay, this is what this researcher is doing. This is what they actually found. And as Harjeev mentioned, you know, I'm a big proponent in, in going that extra step. We've both taken courses outside of our department in linear regression, multivariate analyses, um, you know, things that I do on the side, honestly, I work on my coding skills, on my MATLAB coding skills and, and things like that. Cause it's just, it's so important to be versed in data analysis and data science, especially in this day and age. You know, we speak from, you know, an exercise in sports science perspective where, you know, we're in a, we're in a technology age now where we collect big data sets, large amounts of data sets. doesn't matter if you're in a research setting, doesn't matter if you're in an applied setting, you're collecting huge amounts of data where you have you know, thousands and thousands of rows and things like that of data. And you need to be able to effectively and efficiently handle large data sets. So being able to take multiple statistics courses, whether you're a master's student or a PhD student, is invaluable. And I would highly recommend taking as many as you can. And that's a conversation that uh, my PhD advisor, Dr. Janet Dufik, and I have had, you know, we've both come to the conclusion that in the day and age that we're in, especially in my interest in, you know, sport and exercise science, you need to have a strong statistical background because you're going to be running multiple regression. You're going to be running multivariate analyses and things like that. And I think it's just important for, you know, the students who are listening and students who are considering graduate school to realize that in our field, in our sport exercise science realm of things, Data analytics is becoming big. It's becoming big for player development. It's becoming big from a research perspective. And having those tools in your toolbox is going to make you extremely marketable and valuable to any sort of institution, whether it's a university or whether it's a professional collegiate sports organization. But in talking on the second point in terms of, of the writing, the writing proponent of graduate school is, is one of the most important things because especially if you're going into, you know, a PhD program, it's not just your, your research that you're expected to write. It's not just your dissertation project. You're also expected to, you know, try for grant funding and things like that. And, you know, different, you know, internal, external scholarships and different, you know, funding mechanisms. And I saw, I saw something, on, again, on social media, again, a few days ago, was that being able to write well is one of the most valuable skills an individual can have because you can be the smartest person in the room, but if you can't convey your thoughts to a practitioner or someone who's not as well versed in you and your specific topic, it's going to be really difficult to convey that information. I could have all the knowledge in the world about concussions and ACL injury risk, but if I can't have a conversation verbally or in written form with a coach or you know another sports scientist or, or an athlete, that knowledge translation stops right there. It stops for me and it doesn't get to the person who needs it. So my biggest advice in terms of the writing and the knowledge dissemination is, and I think Harjeev really mentioned this as well, it's something I wrote down was consistency, was being consistently writing, consistently trying to apply more statistical skill sets to your toolbox. You know, I write nearly every day, you know, quite honestly, yeah. write I write almost every day, whether that's my dissertation, whether that's some other projects that I'm working on, whether that's even infographics and things like that. I'm always trying to be consistent with my writing and my knowledge dissemination because as a process, some people are not quite frankly, naturally gifted at writing and it's a tough process, but the more you do it, the better you become, the more effective and efficient you come. I think, I think Dr. Eisenman would agree with those, with those statements as well. 
Yeah, I'm going to propose that we do a whole nother show on just writing. We could. <laughs> I, love, I would never be yeah. a topic I'd love to discuss. Yeah, I, it's. I like to. I like to discuss it as well. But let's let's move forward here. And Jason, I want to I want to piggyback off actually what both of you said about um, statistics and technology. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to add experience. Yep. Right. So so again, it doesn't matter if you're going to be a researcher or not. Like as we look ahead. And I mean, let's say you're a master's student. We, we now have a lot of individuals who are interested in these applied sports science positions within the professional or collegiate environment and or it could be within technology companies yep. um, or other aspects of industry, right? You need to be good with numbers. Yep. Um, and, and also obviously understand technology. But the other part is the experience um, that you gain not only as an undergrad, but through your graduate experiences that are going to open the eyes of potential employers, right? Yep. So again, like, let's not talk about, you know, um, you know, getting a faculty position, right? Because um, that may be a lesser percent of the audience listeners. I don't know. I mean, for those, obviously, your research agenda matters a lot. But, you know, if you're going towards that applied setting, again, they're not you know, your graduate GPA is going to be above a 3.0 or otherwise, you know, you're failing on a graduate school, right? But it's it's going to matter when you have that interview and you can showcase your, you know, scientific skills, your statistics, your use of technology, and the experiences behind it, right? Practical hands-on experience that are going to catch the eyes of, you know, clinical setting, professional collegiate environments or other aspects of industry. And something, and something just to, to piggyback off of that statement, I've seen a couple job postings from Major League Baseball and, you know, the NBA and things that they're looking for now in their sports science data scientists is having peer review research. You know, they look to see that you can demonstrate the full scientific process from starting a project to finishing and disseminating that knowledge because, you know, in, in that environment, you are, in a sense, conducting many research studies. You're not necessarily publishing those findings, but you know what? You're identifying a problem, whether it's in your collegiate or professional setting, and now you're using different tools to be able to analyze that data and be able to get the information that you need. So these teams now are, you know, one of their requirements are, we want to see that you've been able to publish literature. We want to see that you've been able to you know, analyze data, whether it's through MATLAB coding or R or SPSS, they want those skill sets. And it's, it's, it can be competitive because there's a lot of individuals who have those skill sets now that are coming out of academic universities, not only in the United States, but worldwide. You know, we're competing against individuals from Australia who are really well trained in this and you really need to have a quantitative skill set. It's becoming now and Kyle Bodie at Driveline talks about it all the time. It's the big push in player development now is a data-driven environment where you're collecting a lot of data, but the data needs to be actionable and to have that skill set. And again, this is two to four years of your graduate studies where you can have that time to learn this. It's, it's almost like an apprenticeship in a sense. And a lot of these tools, as Arjeev mentioned, there's free. There's free things that you can learn for data science and coding and quantitative statistical analysis you just you really have to take advantage of of this opportunity i mean i can't stress enough the importance of that because harjeev and i and dr eisman as well we all have interest in you know the applied sports setting and be being able to effectively and efficiently collect and analyze data and be actionable with it is so key now 
in our sporting environments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jason, you mentioned the competitiveness, right? Yep. So again, we, we were just talking about a real small sliver. And when I say the small sliver, I mean the number of positions. Right. Like when, when we're talking about collegiate and professional sports science positions or, you know, let's just use the generic term sports science kinesiology, they're, they're very few right, yeah. uh, and they are highly competitive. Yep. Um, and again, that kind of gets back to this whole process, doesn't it? It's choosing the right people to work with who have the connections. Yep. Like, let's not fool ourselves. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Obviously, you need to know a little bit of something as well, right? Like, that, that's important. But again, making the good connections and having good mentors who can place you um, and guide you down this path and get you to that, you know, point number four, what's ahead, the final job yep. becomes important. Um, I, have some, uh, I, have, I have a great example for that, actually. If, if we just want to kick off that last, that last point is when I first got to UNLV, uh, you know, I had some pretty frank conversations with my advisor, Dr. Janet Dufick, and I said, you know, these are my these are my interests. You know, I come from, you know, I, I, I did a little bit of work with the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, I come from, you know, Spartan Performance and Dr. Eisenman. These are where my interests are. And she said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to gear your PhD towards your interest. You have interest in an in applied setting and working with practitioners and things. We're going to gear your three years here at UNLV to this setting. And, you know, we've done some projects with uh, other companies and things like that. And we're working with, you know, different athletic populations. My first adolescence, my, my uh, last two are in collegiate athletes. And so it really gets back to having those conversizer in your academic and saying, you know, I have interest in X, Y, and Z help tailor your next two to five years based around your and Cause you know, standard PhD, you know, if you, if you look at run of the mill and, you know, I'm pigeonholing a lot, but a lot of individuals want to stay the academic route, you know, but you know, I had also, I also had interest not only in the academic route, but also in the applied setting and so my advisor has given me opportunities to really be able to pursue some of these applied settings. And I think those conversations you really need to have early on because they can reach out to their vast network. If they have an expansive network of individuals, they can say, okay, I have a PhD student, Jason Avedishan, who's interested in, you know, professional high performance or collegiate high performance. I've worked in the, and Dr. Dufick worked at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado for quite some time. You know, I'm going to see what individuals that I have in my in my network that could help Jason facilitate his PhD studies, and that's and that's some of the things that we've done. And it gets back to Dr. E's point in terms of what's ahead. You can tailor your PhD or your master's program to your specific interests. If you have academic interests, pursue that route. If you have applied interests, pursue that route as well. It's just it's really having those conversations are are so crucial in, in graduate studies. Arjeev, I think you can agree with yeah. that. I was, I was just going to say uh, one of the one of the main things I would recommend uh, our listeners is to set your expectations with your uh, with your advisor beforehand. Uh, yep. Set set the set the plan, um, his or her expectations of you, uh, yep. and then your expectations of what you want to get out. Once you do that, I think it's kind of you know you're on you guys are both on the same page. Exactly. They know they know what your interests are in, so they're gonna they're gonna tailor you know research questions to that and likewise it's it's a two-way street so i think 
that's definitely something because oftentimes people will do is they'll come into a PhD program or even a master's program and, uh, you know, it'll be like, okay, what do I do now? Uh, rather than this is the plan. This is the plan for the next three years. And this is how we're going to tackle it. So, yep. I think Harjeev and I have done a really good job of, you know, making sure that our advisors are on the same page as us. We are every step of the way, our faculty advisors, you know, know our interests and know what, know what we're doing because they're able to tailor and help us facilitate our interests even further post-graduation. Because, you know, at the end of the day and the what's ahead, you know, you got to find something at the end of your master's degree or your, or your PhD degree. And you can set those two to four years to be really a, a springboard into what you're going to do next and what you're going to do for potentially the rest of your career. Dr. Eisenman, I don't know if you have anything more specific to add to, to some of the things that Harjeev and I have mentioned there. Yeah, no, I, I'm thinking that we should probably wrap up as well. And yeah. you know, just sitting and listening to the two of you, I mean, obviously you two are model students, you know, uh, any mentor would um, appreciate working with the two of you in the process that you've taken. I mean, we know there's a lot of graduate students who have a poor experience Right. right. Yeah. They, they just they, they've dreaded every part of it. And, I, and I, I, I find that those who dread it, A, they're doing it for the wrong reason or B, they didn't go through this process that we just spent, I don't know, guys, an hour talking yeah. about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I think what's important for the listeners, hopefully you're gaining something from this, but, you know, please pass this information along to others and even faculty members, I think. Uh, I think faculty members need to be a little bit more transparent. And, and, and as I heard you guys talking and, you know, you guys have great relationships with your mentors Yep. and it's transparent. Yep. And, you know, Jason, you work with me, so you know that I'm very transparent in my mentoring as well, but not every faculty member has that philosophy. There's still a few university faculty who still believe it's, I am the mentor and you're the student, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so I'm doing this with my hand, right? You're the faculty, you're up here yep. and you're the student, you're down here. Like, again, That's as, somebody, as somebody who wants to do graduate work, you need to find that out, yeah. right? Like this individual I'm going to study with, these people I'm going to study with, what's the culture like there? Do I really fit? Personalities, programs, there's a lot of things that go into this. It's no different than at the end of the day, how we choose where to work yep. in a job. Yeah, that's, and that, and you know what? All that ties back to the very first point in doing your homework is preparing that application process. And I think, you know, the, the topic, you know, the main point that I think graduate students, potential graduate students should take away from this conversation is that if you're going to go down this, this route of graduate education, whether that's a terminal master's, you're going master's, PhD, you really need to spend your time doing your homework because the culture in, in graduate school needs to fit what you what your interests are. You know, Harjeev and I have a very opening collaborative environment and Harjeev and I just got a paper published, you know, doing a study together in an interdisciplinary PhD program. And that's not always the case at, at graduate education. It's a very silo-y, you know, kind of environment. But when Harjeev and I first got here, you know, we both had interests. We said, you know, we want to do some studies together. We want to collaborate from a biomechanics motor learning perspective. And we met with our advisors early on, Dr. Gabby Wolf, Dr. Janet Dufik. We said, 
you know, we have interest in working together and they were both extremely receptive to it. And that's not exactly alluded to. It's not always the case, but you need to find out what the culture is going to be like before you enter graduate studies. And I think just doing your homework is just so important. I think that's the main takeaway from this hour long conversation because we could talk about this forever. <laughs> you know, this is a conversation that all three of us can continue for hours and hours. But I think, uh, I think we mentioned some really good points and some really points that listeners, whoever they may be, faculty, current graduate students, potential graduate students really need to just key in on, on this conversation. Dr. Ree, I think we'll have to have a part two at some point. I think we'll need to continue this because we talked on so many great topics that, you know, I think our listeners will be really receptive to. So we'll have to have you come on again at some point. Definitely need to do one on writing. I, yeah. you know, it's, I, yeah. I've, I've, I've done seminars on just writing, you know, for graduate students and, and other professionals as well. So would be really happy to share, you know, my process um, and thoughts on, on writing. Yeah, absolutely. And we just want to, both our GB and I just want to thank you again for taking time. Yeah. You know, you're, you're busy and, you know, it's an uncertain environment that we're all navigating right now. So we really appreciate your time. And I'm always appreciative of your mentorship because we go quite a ways back since I was a mechanical engineer, just really getting started in kinesiology, not really knowing what I was getting myself into. And, you know, just this little short story. I had a conversation with my dad. I'm like, you know, I'm starting this internship at Spartan Performance. And my dad's like, well, if you don't like it, you know, this is it. This is the end of the road for you. You know, you're going to go work in the automotive mechanical engineering industry for the rest of your life. I'm like, I can't do that. And so I got with Dr. Reed and I found out, wow, this opens up a whole new just possibilities. And I've been just attacking it from, from day one under Dr. Reed. So again, just really appreciative of your time and, and efforts into, you know, this podcast and things that we're doing here. I think it's just great. I hope, I hope the listeners really get a lot out of this. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on guys. Pleasure to converse with you. And, you know, as I said, you guys are definitely model students and, uh, all the best as you, uh, continue down this road. You're, you're not done yet. You're making, you're making great progress. And again, I just think a, a real good model, um, you know, to go by for, for the listeners is, you know, the infographic and, and all the words that have been said today. Dr. Eisenman, just be, just before we go here, we're going to share all the infographic and things like that. Where can our listeners, if they're unfamiliar with yourself personally, where can they where can they find you at? Where are some some ways that they can reach out to you if they have questions? Yeah, so fairly active on Twitter uh, at Joe underscore Eisenman. Um, also have a personal website IronmanPerformance.org. Mm -hmm. and uh, feel free to email me. Um, Joe Eisenman at gmail.com. Always happy to, you know, share insight and conversations with people who have questions. Perfect. Yep. Yeah, we'll, yeah, share, we'll, we'll, we'll share link that. Yeah, we'll share that as well. So. Thanks again, Dr. E. Appreciate cool. it. Take care and, and stay safe. All right. Thank Thanks, you. guys.